Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Last night, a freight train rattled through my head and all I could think was, keep it down, metaphor train. Some of us are trying to sleep. My name is Justin Hamilton, and you're punching a ticket to board, Big Squid. So I'd planned on producing this podcast last week, but we had a little technical snafu that took me a while to work out. And and, and once I did, uh, I have to be honest, I was pretty wrapped with myself. I was really proud of myself for working out what was wrong. And if I'm being really honest, all I did was Google some shit and follow some prompts. But it felt good. It felt really good. And you know what? In these crazy times, you take the wins where you can get them, right? So here it is. This is the episode that I promised last week, but we're here now. And uh, today we're going to be catching up with comedian Dave Thornton, who is going to discuss the NBA and how he's keeping himself occupied in lockdown. You'll get a sense of how he's keeping himself occupied because you will hear a few little cameos from his adorable daughter, who's only about, I think I think maybe she's only like 14, 15 months old, something like that. But anyway, uh, she pops in and out of our chat and is way too cute for words. So we've got Thorno. Uh, Siobhan Coombs is also returning to talk about recent controversies in the comic book world, and she has some new recommendations for us. And to be honest, I'm going to use that chat as an excuse to jump back after the interview with Siobhan, uh, to, to go into this comic that we actually talk about a little bit in our chat. Uh, it's a two-volume graphic novel that you might like to read. It's Mark Russell and Steve Pugh's reimagining of the Flintstones. Yeah, the Flintstones. 
So I'm going to talk to you about that comic, and then I'm going to share some thoughts with you on the Watchmen TV series, receiving all those Emmy nominations. And judging from some of the emails I've received from new listeners to our podcast, there's uh, quite a few of you out there that haven't seen the TV show. So I'm going to share with you a small snippet from our very first episode where Alexei Toliopoulos and I talked about the first few minutes of the first episode. So you can experience a taste of what it is all about. And also, you know, if you've been with this podcast from the beginning, I think you'll probably find it pretty funny to hear us talking about the series and hearing two guys who don't know where it's going to go. So I'll leave that right at the end. Now, remember, if you want to share any thoughts with me about the podcast, please head over to my website at justinhamilton.com.au or join our Big Squid Facebook page. Uh, there's a also a private conversation section that anyone can join. Uh, it's just private so people can chat there without fear of dropping spoilers for any of the shows or movies we're discussing So please join us. Uh, Always interested to hear what you think, what you're watching, and where you're at in the world. All right, let's get into it. Uh, We have a bit to get through in this podcast, so let's catch up with the too handsome for words, Dave Thornton. Limo and I were discussing this recently. As you get older as a man, you start to have one of two interests. You either become totally into country and western or you embrace jazz. Limo, country and western because he just wants to sit on his veranda and whittle. Me, jazz because I like music that represents the panic in my heart. And I was wondering (laughs) which you're leaning towards. I'd have to say, I agree with Lima, country and western. I just want to sit there on my porch. I've got two young daughters now, mate. It's only a matter of time before I get a shotgun. Sit there. I'm, I'm just protecting the family. I... <laughs> Rocking back and forth with a musket. Yeah, old man Thornton. You never cross him. I'll be sitting out the front. You get very attached to that, you know, looking out to the horizon, looking back on what was. Right, yeah, I'm definitely jazz looking inward, freaking out, digga, 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 you know, scatting all over the place. Well, maybe as well, mate, during COVID. And I saw this in myself when it first hit, that I was only watching movies and things I'd seen before because I didn't, I didn't trust something I didn't understand or didn't know the ending of because everything was so uncertain in my life that I wanted some certainty. And maybe there's that as well, because jazz is all about improvising. And I'm like, oh, no, this has gone to territory I didn't know it could. <laughs> or at least with country and western, I know everything's, you know, my trailer's going to be screwed. My bus is going to break down. My, my partner's going to leave me. They're all certainties. I understand that. I'm really curious. What was your go-to movies? Because when COVID kicked in, the first three movies I watched were the original Star Wars trilogy. And oh, yeah. I am not that big of a Star Wars fan. Like, I've seen all the movies, etc. but I reckon it's been, like, a couple of decades since I saw those original three movies. And I just... I was halfway through Return of the Jedi thinking, this is interesting. <laughs> Isn't it? To figure out what you're watching, I mean, I... Sporting movies and action films, I do just launch into yeah. anyway when I'm feeling a bit tired or hungover just because I know there's yeah. going to be a clear and defined victory and a very rudimentary victory in the end. The team wins, 
The guy gets the girl. I'm like, I'm fine with all of that. But it did make me laugh because I realised I watched it because the protagonist is obviously a hero, whether he wants to be or not. He is a hero. And then COVID comes along and I'm like, I don't want to be a hero. I just want to sit here. I just want to sit here until it all passes over. So I realised in that war movie, I'm the guy at the bottom of the stairs who's afraid to cock the gun and is crying in the corner. I reckon I'm the first guy who goes down who tries to talk everyone up as we're going over the over the top. It's okay, boys, everything's going to be... <laughs> and then I'm done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were the heart and soul of the whole place. He was the one that was having some fun. What do you know? Taken away. Oh, no, Sergeant Hamo's gone. How are we going to continue? You'll be fine. You guys are the heroes. I was just the guy that helped motivate you. And and ha- as someone who loves sport, how have you uh, how have you coped with the way the the sporting world has changed? Mate, sporting documentaries are also running pretty hot. Then when COVID right. first hit, I was again just watching it. But I realised sporting documentaries go one of either two ways: they're the team that no one thought they could, and then they did, or they were the person that expectation was a lot, and they never did. I realise there's a lot of that. (laughs) And The Last Dance, this was the moment that we revelled within our industry because when you're known as the basketball guy within comedy circles, I I had that many calls and that many messages from mates going, I never knew Michael Jordan was like that. And I was willing to take that throne. I was like, yeah, let's have an hour and a half conversation about what you don't know about Michael Jordan because you probably are the same. I learned a lot of things from that documentary, but a lot of the major narratives I was already aware of. I could keep going on about it. Certain little things were great and seeing the finer details of that season and seeing him extremely honest about it. And I had no qualms about the way he was. I was like, yeah, this is just how the sausage is made. This man is a doggedly competitive at times arsehole. But the funny thing is I watched The Last Dance and, and people were going, oh, he's pretty full on. And then I watched the Lance Armstrong two-part documentary and I'm like, oh, no, that's a sociopath. At least Jordan is still playing within the rules. He's just an asshole within the rules. I feel there's a morality to it because he was saying, yes, it wasn't, I understand the process is difficult for some people, but the results there speak for themselves. And you're right, it was completely within the rules. And I know he got emotional because I think the frustration of people saying, yeah, it wasn't good. But you're like, yeah, but you got to see the greatest heights that this sport has to offer. So I'm sorry that along the way, feelings were hurt, but we got results. And he's right. But Lance Armstrong's just a man who got caught in the thousands upon thousands of lies that he had and was willing to lie to authorities, was willing to lie under oath, was willing to take people to court despite the fact that he knew he was lying. That is insane. Yeah, that is insane. I, I remember when he finally got done and then I was trying to watch the movie Dodgeball and I couldn't enjoy his cameo like I used to. And now I can't watch the Naked Gun movies and enjoy the cameos by OJ. And all I keep doing is like, come on, Kareem, don't be an arsehole. Don't fuck up flying high for me. <laughs> Every time! This kills me! The Jordan documentary, I talked about this with Limo as well. It was fascinating because so many people who don't even like sport watch that documentary yeah and i was always interested uh, if anyone's listening to that is my 20 month old who's munching down on cashews because we live in brunswick and that's what she does <laughs> and she'll be popping in semi-regularly she's got some thoughts yeah 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 yeah. actually if you're talking about sport it's like i'm cutting down to her on the court right so yana how do you feel about that goo goo gaga good point yep. all right let's get back to the magic <laughs> but um yeah i was talking to neighbors and things too literally over the fence about that, who knew nothing about, weren't really sport heads and knew nothing about 
NBA intimately, knew Michael Jordan in broad strokes. And they, I was interested in how they found it interesting. And they said they did because he, if you think about it over the 10 part series, he's an easy protagonist to like because he's good looking, he's charming. Kind of like Walter White, there's a reason that he was being angry because you're like, yeah, well, it made sense. He wanted to get to the promised land and he was doing it, especially that season, predominantly alone. So you're like, well, there's almost, you you, you empathise with his situation despite the fact that he does blur the line of good and bad. Right. Jerry Krause, their GM, was way easy to hate because he was a short, fat narcissist. You had this spiritual leader, like any good sporting film or um, action film has, there's always a guru, there's the Mr. Miyagi person, and that's Phil Jackson. And then you have this great ragtag bunch of people. You've got Scotty Pippen, who is from a family of 10. His father had a stroke at a young age. He had a really tough, tough upbringing. And he's now his sidekick, who's now going through all this trouble with a bad contract that he signed when he was younger and feeling insecure about finances. You've also got this loose cannon of Dennis Rodman, yeah. who you know, is just a spectacle unto himself, who's during the finals saying he needs some time on his own and then clearing off and getting into a WWE fight that's broadcast nationally. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you've got all these other guys who are like these foot soldiers. Uh, who... You've got the intellectual uh, young youngster whose father was killed. By in an assassination, you know, which if you think about it, is kind of like the X Men, you know, the um, like Xavier's College, where you've got yes, the, the main guys, but then you've got these kids coming through, yeah. and that's what they all felt like. That was your Bill Weddingtons, your Judd Bushlers, and your Steve Kerr. Yeah, and I think my favorite thing throughout the whole ten episodes was how you could sing along by about six episodes in when Jordan would talk about someone antagonising him and he'd just say, well, I just took it personally. And then he'd go out and destroy them on the court. I mean, this doesn't ruin it, but if people haven't seen it, it is incredible. Yeah. There's one time where he, during the course of this season, I mean, you obviously know that they win. That's just easily Googled. But when it gets to the finals and the coach on the other team, the Seattle Supersonics, he went to the same college as Jordan yeah. at a different time, 10 years before Jordan. But there's always that thing in America where you're part of the same alumni. Yeah. So you have this brotherhood and there's the secret handshake and all this. And supposedly they were out at a restaurant and they play seven games in the NBA finals. And this was between games. He saw that George Carl, the coach of the other team, was sitting across the other side of the restaurant. Eight, got up and never said hello or goodbye to Michael. So he's like, right, that's it. <laughs> and you think, this man is, that's incredible. He's so angry. <laughs> he knows how to tap into it. Maybe, yeah, you would say maybe George Carl saw him across the room, but then who knows? Maybe he realised he needed to take a phone call. Who knows why he left without saying <laughs> who knows? goodbye? <laughs> I, I was wondering if you could uh, explain to uh, people who might not be across it and, and might be keen to get into some sport, the NBA has come back in America, which seems in many ways... <laughs> kind of insane considering with the COVID situation they have. But they've, they've gone about it in a really interesting and well-thought-out way, and I was wondering if you could explain it for people. Yeah, so the NBA was one of the first leagues to stop once COVID kicks in. They really got on the front foot and like, no, this is more important than making money, which I thought was great by the NBA. 
And then they figured out they could have this bubble, which is in Disney World in Florida. And Florida just happens to be one of the worst affected states. And there is supposedly a hurricane ripping through at the time of this recording pretty soon. So that's, that doesn't bode well. However, they put all the players who could make it there. Some couldn't make it because they've got family who are sick or they've got kids who are possibly, um, who've got bad immunity and they want to stay home, which they're all cool with. And then the players that could make it, came from 22 teams. There's 30 teams, in, but only 22 went there. There's eight teams that just sucked through the season. They're like, you're not playing anymore. Yeah, we don't need you taking and... up valuable TV space and time. <laughs> it really is yeah. like Hunger Games. So 22 teams are playing now in this bubble. So they call it the bubble. They're all staying in Disney World and they're playing on these courts. And they've done a pretty good job of, of squaring it all off. I mean, there was always storylines. People turned up and were talking about what the rooms were like and Rajon Rondo, who's notoriously a prickly player, was complaining about the room service. And you're like, oh, millions of people are dying around the world, mate. I'm so sorry. You can't get your fondue. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's so true. It's like sometimes when they were showing food and stuff like that, it was like, mate, don't be too upset. That looks pretty delicious to me. Yeah, so they're playing games. and They've all been quarantined. They're not with their families. They're playing games. Yeah. And... They're doing the best that they can. They've done a really good job. The press is still there. They're being quarantined as well. So we're getting all that. They're, they're, they're looking good. I watched a couple of games. It started, we're recording this on a Wednesday and last Friday they kicked off. And man, it's really good caliber of games, but it's always the storylines outside of the games that make it so so interesting. Have you, have you got a couple that uh, stand out? I feel like there's one that I desperately want you to tell. Well, there's two now. Give me the Lou Williams one. Sweet Lou, Lou Williams, who's a great player for the LA Clippers. He, because you get exemptions, fair enough. If something has happened, leave the bubble. Yep. You need to be quarantined once you get back for two weeks, but you'll take that one on you if there is a loved one in strife. And Lou Williams, there was a guy, I believe a friend of the family, someone he was really close to growing up. He unfortunately passed away. So Lou went and went to his funeral and on the way home, he was hungry and he picked up some chicken wings, which all seems very innocuous when you find out the chicken wings were sold in a strip joint and he was there at the strip joint and a friend of his who he was there with put it on his Instagram, which, Hamo, if you are going to go against the rules, let's just not film it. Right. But he found himself in a strip joint because he was hungry. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, if, if you need some food, but then there's also going to be some buzzies around. I heard that some of the journalists were saying that a few of his fraternity in the NBA, the players were saying, mate, you don't understand the chicken wings there are really good. (laughs) And that's been the defense of it. That must be good chicken wings. Yeah, I ordered the breasts. I didn't know which ones I was getting. (laughs) So Sweet Lou had to defend that. It was a hard sell. J.R. Smith, who... The people in basketball are notorious. They, they quite often say things like he doesn't have a, a good basketball IQ. Right. But I got the eerie feeling JR's not the sharpest tool in the shed, full stop. Absolutely. And JR just posted, because <laughs> you've got to pack fair enough for yourself to go into this bubble. They're there for three months. If things work out and you make the finals, you'll be there for three yeah. months. And for people listening, if your team loses, you, you leave. You're out of the bubble. So it'll get exponentially smaller the amount of people there yeah but you, you are planning for the best you are okay i've got a pack for this entire three months because i'm hoping to make it to the finals and he is playing for the la lakers who looks like they're a good chance to make the finals yeah. <laughs> JR, jr only packed seven pairs of underwear because he goes yeah there's seven days in a week seven pairs of underwear here we go however 
he has a job as a sports person, which means you practice, you need a shower, you have to play games. That's not one pair of underwear through the day. If you are there lifting weights and then you go for a shower, you don't put the same pair of underwear back on. Maybe JR does. Well, he greatly underestimated the amount of underwear he had to pack. And he's like, oh no, what have I done? I've only packed seven pairs of underwear. It's like, you're a grown man. You're in your 30s. How did you not figure out that you needed more underwear? That's fantastic. Like that is, like if anyone was going to do something that was on brand, that is completely 100% J.R. Smith, right? Yeah, and it's completely 100% fully grown professional athletes yeah. because he got drafted out of high school. So basically before he he just got pubes and then people said, yeah, no, we'll just work out everything for right. you. It'll be fine. The, uh, the, the danger of being very good at sport is the fact that everyone will do things for you and then eventually you get to a point as a grown man, you don't pack enough underwear. I mean, mate, before we did this, and I only did it for about 10 weeks, I did a, like every comedian, you're selling your soul to pay your bills. And I was doing a, this Zoom quiz game for Carlton Draft, Clang, with, with AFL football players, which was actually a lot of fun. However, getting AFL players to set up Zoom was insane because it would take us an hour while they're going, I don't understand, Kelly, Kelly. They'd always bring their wife in and their wife would have to figure it all out. And they did all this. And in the last episode, I didn't know this, but Sean Burgoyne, who plays for Hawthorne, his sister-in-law is Erin Phillips, who plays for FLW Crows, or did. I'm not sure if she's retired now, but, and she's an absolute weapon. She also played in the WNBA. I realise when you see a rap sheet, Hamo, she's one of the greatest athletes we've ever explored. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan, yeah. She's played in the WNBL, won championships. Played in the WNBA, the American League, won championships. Won premierships with the AFLW Crows, being the best player, voted the best player by all of her peers. And I didn't realise this. In the off-season of the AFLW, was then a coach for the Dallas WNBA team in her spare time. And then won, won gold at the World Championships and then silver at the Olympics. She's a weapon. But she said something funny to me because as Sean's was trying to get together, and he was quite lovely. He's like, I'm not really good with technology. And Aaron just is a jet. And she's like, yeah, because... I'm an AFLW player and we have to look after ourselves and we know how to be grown human beings. <laughs> it's such a shame. The men get paid more. However, they're so much more useless. Yeah, and there's more and more proof of that as their careers go on, especially if they stay in the limelight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so true. And I mean, the ones that do go on to go onto media, they've just jumped from one position of uselessness to the next because yeah. we all know that. The higher you go up in media, the more some, oh, I just need some snacks. There you go. I need a bottle of water. Here you are. Do you need a car? What do you need? Oh, God. Do you, do you need an adult diaper? You're sick of going to the toilet? Like, it's just you get treated the whole way. At any turn, you get looked after. And that's why you start getting upset that you're not allowed to play golf. Exactly. That's when it comes to that. That's when you're complaining about the room service because it's not six stars. Who's your pick for the, the playoffs? The Lakers are looking spectacular. Anthony Davis. And LeBron looks amazing. Um, I'm kind of hoping, though, the Denver Nuggets do all right. I always like the way that they play. And I haven't seen the Milwaukee Bucks. They were incredible before COVID hit. So we'll see how they get more they're coming. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, mate, yeah, so they're the three, I reckon. Look at them. Yeah, I, I have, an, I have a, an awful feeling that Houston who really transformed their team might be something to look out for as well. And every season you need a team that you don't like. You do need that in the narrative of the season. It makes it easier. It makes it more fun. 
you got to have someone that you hate. That's what sport's for. You can just hate indiscriminately and it doesn't really matter because it's only sport. All right, well, let's get back on the Zoom once the playoffs start and uh, check out what's happening and hopefully we'll have some more chicken wings debacles and underwear mistakes as well. Thanks, Emma. Good to speak to you, mate. Next up, we have Siobhan Coombs, who works at King's Comics here in Sydney. Uh, And if I can just take a moment to remind people, whichever big city you're in, or even small city, uh, a lot of the comic book stores are really doing it tough at the moment between COVID, the fluctuating dollar, and DC's decision to change up their distribution. So if you're still looking to purchase single issues or graphic novels, you can't go wrong with your local store. All of these businesses are local and I think they could really use your support whenever you're able to. Like I also understand that you might be listening to this podcast and maybe financially things aren't great for you uh, and you don't really have uh, that extra bit of coin to uh, be buying comics. So you personally don't stress out about that. But if you are in a situation where you're looking to buy stuff, you know, checking out your, your local store is uh, is a really good thing to do. Uh, if you're in Melbourne, uh, my friends Troy and Mitch are at All Star Comics uh, up in Brisbane. There's a there's a great store up there called Comics Etc. I haven't been there for a while, but anytime I've been in Brisbane, I've always popped into that one. I think Perth has Comic Zone. Uh, I've been to Comic Zone. I'm pretty sure they're still going. And in my hometown, you have my original store, the Adelaide Comic Centre. Uh, and the people that run that are super nice and, and really good people. So, look, I'm certain there are other stores I'm blanking on at the moment. But whenever you're able to, please try to support these local businesses. Okay, let's bring in Siobhan and then uh, I'll come back and I'll talk to you about the Flintstones. So we are officially recording and, we're, and, we, and we've stopped talking about how charismatic your husband is. <laughs> uh, so it's been an interesting week in comics. Sure has. So we've seen two pretty big creators uh, in Tom King and Jay Lee have a clash. And it was over uh, essentially Comicsgate. Can you explain Comicsgate to people who haven't been in the comic book world? Yeah. So, I mean, like, I don't... I hate it so much that I've never engaged with it that directly. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know most of the details. Yeah. But it spun out of uh, like GamerGate. Yeah. Which was about, I mean, it's like uh, alt right dudes. And forgive me if I'm uh, simplifying your movement, alt right dudes. Um, <laughs> not that I assume they listen to your podcast. <laughs> I'd be really disappointed. Yeah. Actually, it's like, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> um. Basically being like, ah, oh, social justice warriors, you're ruining the things I love. Give me more titties. And that's, yeah. you know, that's not offensive to anyone. We like that. Give me back my childhood full of titties or whatever. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's a bit confusing. It's so weird, isn't it? It's like, yeah. I've got all these white guys with blonde hair as superheroes, but I can't believe you've brought in this one Muslim character yeah, called Ms. Marvel. Yeah, that's offensive to me. That's, that's disgusting offensive. to me. How yeah. dare you pander? How dare you pander? There's one. How dare you pander to not me? Yeah, and she's awesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one of the she's best like characters. She's incredibly successful. One thing that's really interesting, I think, in terms of this kind of stuff, is that there was um, the book report big thing came out last week, which um, and people have been like, it turns out Marvel and DC are no longer the big two in terms of 
comic book publishers. Oh. The big two are Scholastic and Viz because the areas of the market that are growing are young adult, female-oriented, and manga. Those are the things that are popular right. at the moment. Shock. So the next time I get a comment on, like, because forever, if I put up a YA title on um, the King's Comics Instagram, I get, like, three or four comments from dudes being like, oh, can't wait to see that in the dollar bin in five years' time. And I just want to <laughs> give them that, like, give them that graph and be like, when you start actually buying, like, Venom beats up Punisher or whatever you think should be selling the most, like, then we can talk. But stop torrenting this shit, you know what I mean? I I wish these people would realise that when they see something that's marketed in a different wheelhouse, if you comment on it, that says so much more about you. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you don't look at, like, I don't look at something like that and think, Oh, well, that's a direct attack on me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's a direct attack to my livelihood. How dare you? Yeah, I look at that and I think, oh, I wonder what that is. Yeah. Like, have some curiosity about the world. Oh, I'm sure I'm sure someone else out there maybe enjoys that. Right. So odd to me. Anyway, but so Comicsgate is like that, and it's mostly spearheaded by this artist who I used to like quite like when I was a teenager called Ethan Van Syver, who it- did a lot of very iconic work on Green Lantern. Absolutely. In the early 2000s. Like, that was... New I X-Men. definitely had some, yes, exactly. I definitely had some uh, Green Lantern, Ethan Van Syver uh, wallpaper on my laptop as a as a youth. You know it, what I mean? It, it is it is up there for me with my disappointment in mm. him as someone that I am not yeah. into but loved his work. It's up there with me watching Mel Gibson in Gallipoli. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. you were th- be that Mel. You were great. Not Come anti-Semitic, on. misogynistic, <laughs> awful Mel. Be be young Mel. What do you call her? Sugar tits? Uh, not sugar tits, Mel. Mel. No, Come on. Don't be sugar tits, Mel. <laughs> uh, um. I'd like to see that trending. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so so there was yeah there was this movement. We saw some female yep. creators who got pushed out of comics like Chelsea yes, Kane. Yes, 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 yeah. Uh, she's done some pretty dodgy shit in the last couple of years as well. Anyway. Oh, yeah, no but, but from that no Marvel perfect. Mockingbird, yes. which I thought Mockingbird was great. Oh, it was a really good comic. Yeah. It was a really great series. Yeah. Um, and there's just been all this, like, like there was this milkshake thing where a female uh, editor at Marvel posted a picture of her drinking a milkshake and everyone attacked her for some reason. And so then all of the female creators took pictures of themselves drinking milkshakes. Like, it's, just, it's the dumbest It's the dumbest shit of all time right. is the thing that's really irritating about it. Right. The whole thing with this Tom King, Jay Lee thing is that it's really exposed the how all of this stuff is just online. And online... It is real, but it is also not real. It is right. not. It is not the real world. It is a world, but it is not the real world. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And so Tom King. Oh, oh, he, he called out Jay Lee, yeah. didn't he? Because Tom King has a new comic coming out. Jay Lee was. And also, sorry, Tom King's comic is like, if he wants to start talking about ethics, he can start with like, you're making a Rorschach comic when Alan Moore has explicitly been like don't use these characters. Right. DC lied to Alan Moore about what the sort of yeah. contractual situation was going to be. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, sorry. absolutely. Like, but I don't know why Tom King's all up on his fucking high horse. You, you've you got to be careful. Yeah. Like, if you want to get on your high horse, no problem. But you better make sure that It's you, a perfect horse. <laughs> it's, it's a good horse, right? Don't, don't get up and find out it's a rocking horse and you can't ride. <laughs> but he called out Jay Lee because he was doing some uh, a variant art uh, cover, mm-hmm. and then he called him out for being a part of Comicsgate. Yeah, so because Jay Lee also did a cover um, 
for Dynamite. Yeah. Specifically for a comic that I believe is by some Comicsgate creators. Right. And so Dynamite has been like also put through the ringer in the last couple of weeks. Like I think they've gotten rid of their editor in chief and a whole bunch of really high profile creators like Mark Russell have um you know, severed ties with the company, even though he was writing a lot of books for them. Right. um, Because they're like, if you're going to support Comicsgate, I cannot possibly put my name to that. So I'm removing myself from that situation. Oh, man, you don't want to lose Mark Russell. That guy's brilliant. He is so brilliant. Yeah. And I cannot get over, like, I just don't understand why not everyone is losing their minds about everything that he writes. Everything. Everything. Like the Wonder Twins comic that he recently did. Brilliant. So brilliant. And all ages, YA aim title that is basically about the military industrial and prison industrial complex. Oh, it's like... And it's funny. It's, and it's really <laughs> funny. Like, you know, even saying that, but it's like, oh, that must be heavy. No. No. Not in the slightest. It's so funny. His Flintstones, two volumes. Completely brilliant. Ah, oh, sensational. Perfect. It makes me, like, also super funny, satirical. And also bits that make you a Incredibly bit sad, moving. like yeah, like the, the the animals that they use as yeah. appliances, talking when no one's around. Oh yeah. my god! Or even or even that um, Barney and uh, Fred are veterans. Veterans. And that yabba dabba do is the like uh, chant that they say in their um, uh, like what are meetings meetings yeah. meetings to get over their um, PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> I know, it's so good. It's so dumb, but you read it and you're like, holy holy moly, you're a genius. And that's not even talking about Snagglepuss. Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. God. He's such a talent. Anyway, yeah. and his Red Sonia stuff has been incredible. Like, everything he does is So brilliant. losing Dynamite losing him, losing him is, is a major blow. Yeah, real big. Um, anyway, so then Tom King was like, Jay Lee is working with Comicsgate. I am offended that he would, like, I... I, I so upset that he's also doing a variant cover for my book. Like, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And Jay Lee was like... I'm I'm offline. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. he barely uses social media. He had no idea what Comicsgate even was. Yeah. And you're coming after his like professional career. Yeah. And then he gets. And then not only already that's off. Yeah. That's a really off thing to do. You're in the industry. Yeah. Like make a call. Yeah. Exactly. I. I it happens in all industries. But everyone calls people out, but no one ever makes a phone call. Exactly. And you guess what? You could get his phone number easily. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He's doing a cover for your book you yeah. could get his email address without a doubt and just say hey man what's going on yeah uh can you kind of let me know what your stance on this is which is you know for a guy who worked in the cia come on tom king yeah, like on, tom king come on get off that rocking horse mate but then the thing <laughs> that breaks your heart is that he attacks jay lee on the day that his dog got yeah. put down and if you go to his instagram page it's essentially about this dog that he and his wife loved yeah. and they were so upset and then they're trying to kind of you know have grieve. a day of mourning and then he's getting attacked by all these people for something he doesn't know about. And then even though Tom King apologised and said, we're all good, and then Jay Lee finally said, this is the only thing I'm going to say, we are not all good. Yeah. And then even underneath, there's still people having a go saying, well, he should, he should do more work on who he works for before he commits to taking any jobs. I, I'll tell you here and now, if... If you spend all your time yeah. doing deep, deep research to find out who you can work for... You're never going to work for anyone, mate. You will never <laughs> fucking work. Especially if you're a comic book artist. Right. Where work is hard enough to come by. And, like, yeah. Jay Lee's a big name and, like, he's very successful. Yeah. I would be shocked if he was rolling in cash, though. He just yeah. does variant covers for fucking comic books, man. Yeah. It, it's it's not like he's uh, subscribing. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you 
should just work for anyone. Like, of course, there's businesses that you have uh, moral uh, objections to that you don't align yourself with. But let he who is without sin. Right. Et cetera. Right. Like, he worked for... Tom King worked for the CIA. Tom King worked for the CIA, (laughs) man. Come on. Come on. You want us to start going into, like... (laughs) That's really disappointing. It was just especially off the the back of our last chat where it was like I was all in on Tom King and then it was just like, oh, that one... You know, like... Your favourite artists don't always create the best things. No. And, like, you know, he did one thing and the hero, uh, Heroes in Crisis, I'd be like, oh, that's not so great. And then then Batman kind of dissipated. Went odd. Yeah, just kind of, you know, around the issue 49, 50 mark. And it was like, no, oh, what's happening here? <laughs> and then, you know, and then the Raw Shark thing, you go, oh, I'm not really that impressed with it. You know, like, yeah. we've already, like, we've already had the TV series, which I also, from a moral point yeah, of view yeah, yeah. wonder about but from what they created i right. think lives up to the spirit of what yeah. the initial Which, work created at the very least like that's better than most of the comics that have been oh, created based yeah. on Watchmen. <laughs> i know 26 emmy nominations this yeah, week yeah, yeah. yeah crazy Pretty like for, for a show that has reigning squid and uh adrian Veidt living you haven't seen it yet, have uh, you? No, uh, sorry, living man, somewhere, sorry. yeah. Good, and good. anyway, <laughs> it's it's very strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for it to get twenty six, uh, it's Huge. very strange for people who don't understand superheroes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so that's been the big controversy this week. I, I, you know what? I was like, uh, this uh, as a blanket ideal. Get in touch. I hate people calling out people who don't know the full story. And then I saw that his dog died, and I was like, "Come on, Tom King. Yeah, I'm all on Jay Lee's. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, (laughs) Tom King. Because it really came across like he was just doing it for like uh, social clout and cred. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, what a good guy. What a good guy. guy. Getting to something that is uh, a lot more uplifting is you said let's uh, let's read the Allred Bowie book which oh, I have done and uh, I'm curious to know what you think I loved it man yeah it's such like it every page is so like luminous and full of life yeah and like it's such a it, it seems like such a labor of love yeah like I had a quick look at the um I was finishing on on the bus on the way in here. Right. Um, so I didn't quite read all of the afterward that Allred wrote, but he was like, I've been making comics about Ziggy Stardust since 1974. Yeah. And you're like, oh, man, it reads like that. You Absolutely. Know? Like, you care about this. Yeah. It was, uh, it was fascinating because it kind of read dreamlike for me yes. as well. Uh, I don't know about you, the but it was like, it was him dreaming about uh, that part of his career. Yeah. So it's half autobiography, not autobiography, sorry, biography, yeah. um, but woven together in such an odd dreamlike way yeah. with kind of Ziggy as a real separate character, yeah. but then also going into quite a lot of detail about like the albums and how they were made and like, right. it's just, like I, I mean, I'm, you're definitely much more of a Bowie fan than I am, but I, I really thought it was like an exceptional book. Well, I've, I've learned a couple of new things that I didn't know before, mm. which I'm always wrapped with. I think yeah. sometimes when people think that you're an expert on things, that means you can't be told stuff, but it's like, no, the, the last thing I want to do is live in a world where I know everything yeah, about sure. Bowie. I want to keep learning new things. And he was so full of surprises. So full of surprises that then there were bits where I'd, like I knew some of the conversations were things that I'd heard Bowie tell on stage. Yeah, cool. So like the the bit with the 
uh, his mate Stevie Marriott going to, we're going to have big amps and we're going to call ourselves the small faces. Yeah. I'd, I've heard Bowie tell that in a gig. Oh, cool. You know, on uh, uh, VH1 Storytellers, he tells that story. So that was like, oh, that was all exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also, even if you're not entirely uh, a, a, a huge Bowie fan, it also says something about creativity, doesn't yes. it? And the muse and the and uh, it's very important to remember he had lots of setbacks and things that didn't quite work. Yeah, I sort of really didn't know a lot of that. Yeah. He seemed like such a fully fleshed out, formed character every right. time I saw him that you didn't, didn't see like the kind of steps and the, the hard work and the, yeah. the trying things out and it failing and oh, yeah. Oh yeah, you know, uh, you know, releases his first album on the day Sgt. Peppers is released. Yeah. You know. That's a bad move. Da-da. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, and you know, that album, you know, it's, it's cute, but it's, but that's groundbreaking. Yeah. And, also, you know, one of the things that I always find slightly disappointing in, in the David Bowie story, but I think is probably a really pivotal moment for him, is that he's a little bit absent on the making of The Man Who, Fell, uh, the, the Man Who Sold the World. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's, it's uh, Mick Ronson doing, and Tony Visconti doing a lot of the work mm. on that album. And, you know, it's kind of interesting to see that, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Like, you know them kind of calling him back and it, the, the comic doesn't call him out for it but that's what happened. it presents it yeah, yeah. and uh you know but then it's kind of fun as well like i'd heard that story before that he'd offered drive in saturday to mop the hoople after he'd helped get their career back on track and when they rejected it he got so angry he shaved off his eyebrows <laughs> and you go that is insane that's, that's furious yeah <laughs> that's angry have you ever been that angry <laughs> no no neither have i <laughs> i've had a shave that was mainly that was more itchy than angry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but some of the artwork, like oh, some of those man. pages, wouldn't you love to have them blown up on, yeah. a, on a wall? Like they're so beautiful. And so sort of uh, lovingly specific about the different outfits yeah. and the different stage costumes yeah. and um, the, the physicality. Like, I mean, Orid is so great at like, you know, the, the, the panel um, where they were talking about Iggy Pop locking himself in a hotel room oh. to kick his heroin addiction. Oh. And he's bent over backwards in like three, and there's three of him yeah. um, kind of inter- interposed against each other. Like, I, d- I don't know many cartoonists who could get that specific physicality so perfectly. Right. And how he, like the, 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 um, like the way he draws Mick Jagger, like yes. the likenesses are so perfect. Yeah. But down to sort of how they hold themselves. Yeah. You know, like, like it's such a, such a perfect book. Oh, yeah. I was getting my hair cut yesterday and my hairdresser, I was like reading it while I was waiting for the hairdresser to come over and he came over and just like dropped everything. I was like, oh, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> and we had to spend ages looking through it and I got like serious cool points with my hairdresser because right. he's like, I'm a massive David Bowie collector and I've never seen that. Yeah. And he was like, I just take a picture of it and go buy it. And all oh, kind of yeah. Stuff. Um, it's so so beautiful to look at yeah it's stunning I, I i think you're so right about that iggy pop page yeah like it's really as as two people who have never gone through heroin withdrawal yes, yeah, yeah. i i i recognize that that, yeah. that image feels like it could have come straight from train spotting when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. For sure. Not, you know, it's... Uh, but there, there is this sort of fluidness to all the characters and the way they hold themselves. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a remarkable... Uh, piece of work and then it's, uh, sometimes even the artwork I'd look at and I'd go oh I, kn- I know that photo that yes. you have based that on but it never feels like pastiche uh, as you were yeah. saying it's got this beautiful dreamlike quality and has something very interesting to say about artistry and not losing faith in yeah. what you're doing. Like sticking it, to your creative guns, you yeah. know, like really having a vision and seeing it through. Yeah, and looking at what's around you as well. You Like as you go through this adventure, it's like, you know, he hangs out with this person and he learns this and mm-hmm. then he hangs mm-hmm. out with that person and he learns that and then he repays the favour. Like, you know, Queen Bitch is very much a, a, a Velvet Underground-inspired song, mm-hmm. but then he and Mick produce, you know, yeah, yeah, Lou yeah, Reed's yeah. Transformer. Which I was listening to on the way in oh, because yeah. I was like so inspired. Yeah. With all, like so much of this music I've never listened to. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. Oh, and that's Walking a through the city. That's a, it's a banger. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I reckon he's going places. The uh, and funnily enough for me, the Ziggy Stardust era is the era that I really latched onto a lot as a kid. And then as I kind of got older, mm. you know, I go for more. Uh, complex albums I guess or complex isn't probably the right word but you know just stuff that's a little bit more off the beaten track and it's immediately you know it's like well I've got to I've got to go back and, yeah, and yeah, do yeah. this and listen to these on vinyl and listen yeah. to them properly as well that's a uh, fun project just uh, before we finish up talking about this but uh, I, I screen grabbed a little thing which I thought you might make you uh, might find mildly interesting <laughs> but um, so there's the cover to a there's a drawing of a cover to a magazine, and in the corner you can see uh, see that little bubble there where it says Twiggy yeah, yeah, Justin yeah, yeah, Love. Yeah, yeah. So the pinups cover, which is Bowie with uh, with Twiggy, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. she's kind of tanned and dreamy, and he's looking in shock yeah. for what's coming. It's like she's thinking of the past, and he's looking at what's coming mm. for the future, and that. Uh, cover was taken by her uh, partner, her husband, mm-hmm. Justin de Villeneuve. And my mum was a big Twiggy fan and I'm named after. Oh. So I had a little moment of going, oh, that's who I'm that's named <laughs> after. <laughs> that's fun. That's cool. Uh, but um, the uh, Mike Allred's uh, Bowie book, it's got a quite a long title. Ray Moon, Guns. Rust and Moon Dust and Ray Guns? Yeah. Ray Guns and something like that. Uh, you know... Uh, We'll make a couple more suggestions of what's uh, out there at the moment, Mm. but uh, definitely worthwhile picking up. Uh, Great story, 
beautifully told. As I said, really interesting comments on uh, the creative mm-hmm. mind and how to approach it and make it work for you. And, you know, kind of kind of nicely emotional, Yeah, I think. Doesn't yeah. bang on about anything, but you just kind of go, oh, yeah. Absolutely. I felt kind of uh, happy, sad. Yes. At the end of it. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Especially when it's like the last couple of pages. Because it's really just the Ziggy Stardust story. It's not really going into the rest of his career. Yeah. And so those pages that are just the, the kind of rest of his career and the rest of yeah. the faces that he took and the personalities that he took on and yeah. uh, sort of pastiche, not pastiche, collage together over yeah. a couple of pages and then you get to the end and it's all the sort of imagery from the last album and yeah. th- I found that very moving. Yeah. You know what? I would love to see him do Same. from like for him to go back and do, you know, Young Americans yeah. to maybe, you know, Let's Dance or something like that. Like I'd, I would be wrapped to end up with like six volumes yeah. of his work. I don't know if he's got that in mind, but man, that would be... That would be something. Oh, it'd be so good, it'd right? Be so good. And uh, just quickly, what else is uh, new this week? I know that the new Brubaker Phillips Pulp. Yeah, I'm really keen to check that out, yeah. as I am with everything that they write. Yeah, and work on together. You, you guys have the uh, the Criminal Trade paperback. I believe don't we you? do. I believe we do. And yeah. Criminal is like, if you want to, if you want a sort of um, intro to the Brubaker Phillips kind of creative relationship, I think that's a perfect place to start yeah. I'm a big fan of criminal and it's all it's all kind of crime noir story yeah. so if you're not really into superheroes this is perfect and each each uh trade is a separate story yeah but they all live in the same world exactly it's like it's kind of like watching a series like fargo each series season of fargo is a separate story but yeah. it is the one place they all exist together yeah um my favorite is probably the fade out you know that one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. so that's their set in golden age of Hollywood yes. uh, kind of noir thriller. Yeah, um, with the writer who is struggling. Yes. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, it's really good. Oh, all of it's been yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, all of, it's, all of it's really good. It's really <laughs> yeah. hard to like pick out a specific Brubaker Phillips book. Yeah, you, um, you but pick out one and then... Ten minutes later, you go, well, we've just named everything. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I was going to be like, and Bad Weekend's really good as well, blah, 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 blah. Bad Weekend's really <laughs> Bad, good. Bad Weekend's a favourite because yeah. it deals with the comic book industry specifically. Yeah. And I think there's not that many meta books yeah. set within that kind of world. Like, you don't see that many convention scenes in comic yeah. books. So, I really enjoy that one. Yeah, absolutely. That, that for, uh, Anyone who's read Michael Chabon's The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, very different stories, but they could... that. Bad Weekend could take place just after those stories yeah, yeah, finish. Yeah. So, uh, and anything else coming in that you think is uh, exciting you? Um, you know, something came out last week that I really love. Um, I don't think it. I, I don't. I, you might like it. Mm. I don't know if it, it's not. It is not your demographic. I would say. Right. So there's a series called Fence, okay. which is by an Australian writer called C.S. Picat, who works with um, a cartoonist called Joanna the Mad, which is right. like that's a killer name for oh, a cartoonist. Absolutely. Um, but so it is sounds like someone I want to draw me a picture and protect me in a fight. Yes, exactly, exactly, <laughs> precisely. Um, but so it's a um, kind of young adult slow burn gay romance. Okay, yeah. So it is set in a uh, all boys high school, right? That's a boarding school. Yep. A classic of the YA LGBT genre. Yeah. I would say um, if you've ever read much fan fiction. This is for you. Right. Um, <laughs> but it's about fencing. And so they're the fencing team. And it's about the sort of underdog who really wants to succeed to prove his uh, father wrong. And right. then there's the kind of um, snobby, uh, best in the state 
kind of character. And so it's all these kind of um, YA tropes, but it's really sophisticatedly done. It's really sweet and funny. Yeah. Um, it's just a really great example of that kind of form. It's It, it takes a lot from um, like sports manga. Right. So it's very manga inspired, um, that kind of stuff. But it's it's so brilliant. I think it's really great. Yeah. And what is it uh, single issues? Is it trades? So it was single issue, but now they've decided to just... Uh, switch to releasing a graphic novel every six months which I think is really smart Um, and I think it works really well for that format Um, but I think it's really brilliant if you like kind of if that sounds if you are a fan fiction fan listening to this and you're like oh there's not enough gay comics in my life I really rate it I think it's like there's no um, it never gets explicit oh yeah it's just like yeah uh, angst (laughs) yeah man angst is uh, it's a seller yeah, it really is a seller. It's like uh, I have days where I, I don't feel angsty and it's like, oh, why am I so full of adrenaline? It's happened like three times since the isolation. <laughs> uh, well, that sounds great. We Actually, it would be good to uh, promote some more Australian stuff as, yeah, yeah, as yeah. well. So uh, good to see Tom Taylor doing <laughs> great guns in the oh States, isn't he? He's so like – there is something about the way that he writes superhero comics where he just gets it. He yeah. just understands. Yeah. And he makes me cry more yeah. than any other superhero writer in yeah. a way that, like, I'm like, <laughs> I didn't mean to cry. Right. Why are you making me cry, man? Like, yeah. it's so um, unexpected all the time. Yeah. Um, and it almost, it never feels cheap, though. Do you know what right. I mean? Like, he's not just pulling on the heartstrings for no reason. He's, like, got a got a purpose. Yeah. His, his Suicide Squad run is really, really great. Oh, right. I haven't read that one. Right. He's put a bunch of, like, Australian and, like, Indigenous characters into it. It's really oh, brilliant. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I saw that he's doing a Black Label John Constantine yes. series. He'll be great at that. Yeah. It was like, oh, nice. You yeah. know, sometimes you see uh, uh, an artist line up with a character and you go, oh. Great, perfect. That's exactly. I'm very what we happy needed. about that. Yeah. So uh, if people uh, people can come into the new store, and the address here 283 is 283 Clarence Street. But if you're somewhere in Australia and you're finding it difficult, you're like you know maybe through you know absolutely awful luck, your your store is closed mm-hmm, down mm-hmm, or they mm-hmm. don't have an online site. Uh, your online site is kingscomics.com, and it's great yeah, and it's thanks, really man. accessible. And so we would suggest uh, the. Bowie Allred book. Absolutely. Fences. Yep, Fence. And uh, Pulp, the new Brubaker Phillips book. That seems like three good suggestions for the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Get them, guys. So before we go any further, I just want to have a little chat to you about this comic book version of the Flintstones, especially since Siobhan and I were raving about it. But as you probably remember, the Hanna-Barbera cartoon, it originally aired in the 60s, and it was one of those perfect family entertainment type of shows where kids could enjoy it on a very basic level and grown-ups got the more mature aspects of the storytelling that were involved. And it was it was quite groundbreaking for its time. It, look, there might be some things that if you looked at it now, you would think, ah, I think we've kind of moved on from that. You know, Wilma's penchant for spending money, uh, Fred's quickfire anger issues are the type of cliches that we're leaving behind. But you have to remember in the 60s, this was some really groundbreaking stuff and it never stopped being entertaining at the same time. So now with the comic, we have the writer Mark Russell 
and artist Steve Pugh, along with colorist Chris Chukri and letterer Dave Sharp. And they've produced a two-volume graphic novel that keeps a level of fidelity with the original material while also updating it to reflect our modern times. So that the overarching story is that the prehistoric citizens of Bedrock have no idea that they're being monitored by aliens who are deciding whether humanity deserves to exist or not. Now, this isn't the main thrust of the story, but it's the framework which allows the creative team to show us a series of thoughtful, character-driven minor tales about everyday life in this society. So take the first chapter as an example of what the team can uh, pull off here. Fred has work troubles dealing with new rivals at the Slate Quarry, and Wilma is trying to break into the art world with paintings her husband doesn't really understand. So, as you can see, that is a very simple, straightforward premise. But then the story provides us with many new layers, such as Fred's inability to perceive his value as a husband and a father in a world that's ruled by consumerism. Like, what good is he if he can't buy his family all the stuff that they want? While Fred is dealing with this, Wilma is dealing with the frustration that nobody understands the meaning behind her artwork. This work that is created with such love and such soul, and it's easily dismissed by her peers in an act of snobbery because, you know what? She's not one of the gang. So she's going through that crisis, and meanwhile they're collectively having their faith in a higher power challenged because the town's only church keeps changing what the religion is all about. And look, I know this probably sounds really heavy, but there are so many jokes all the way through the script, whether spoken or drawn, that you'll find yourself laughing out loud all the way through. But there's also a depth to these stories that will really take you by surprise, like when you finally discover why Wilma's artistic endeavours are so important to her, or when you discover the ultimate fate of one of Fred's co-workers. There are also quite poignant moments in this comic. So in the Flintstones world, regular household appliances are animals that are forced into jobs that they probably would rather not be a part of. But when nobody is around, these appliances discuss their lives. So at first, you know, the baby elephant who's a vacuum cleaner or the dodo as a can opener, they're funny. But when no one's around and they're discussing their lives and they're reflecting on their mortality and they're learning new words like friendship and, and, and not only learning new words, but learning what that word means and, and coming to uh, understanding the world that they live in and what makes it important. Like, I just wouldn't be surprised if, like me, you found yourself feeling a little bit teary while you were reading uh, a few of these panels. The the animals as appliances was always funny in the cartoon, but in this two-volume series, it becomes a synecdoche for the broader story being told, that if we're not careful and just continue to consume the world around us, in turn we can forget to be people, and once again, we'll become nothing but numbers, figures, things that can be easily dismissed, I guess, by... things that can be easily dismissed by our society... Essentially, Mark Russell and the art team are reminding us that there are no answers to life, but we can in turn engage with the world in a healthier way that allows us to experience our lives in a more meaningful way. I love this comic. Both volumes are fantastic. It looks beautiful. It's really funny. It has a lot to say about our modern times. And if you want something that you can maybe read with someone who's a little bit younger... There's some nice little lessons in there, but 
if you don't feel like teaching any lessons, you know, they can just kind of laugh at things as well. Like Pebbles. She's into alternative music and in Bedrock Days, she's wearing a Nick Caveman t-shirt. I laugh every time I look at that t-shirt and then I look at that little vacuum cleaner and then my heart breaks a little bit more and then I get back to laughing again and the whole experience is wonderful. So the Flintstones, Volume 1 and 2 by Mark Russell and Steve Pugh and the rest of the creative team is really worthwhile checking out. There are people who believe that this world is fair and good. It's all lollipops and rainbows. We don't do lollipops and rainbows. We know those are pretty colors that just hide what the world really is. Black and white. Soon they shall save us. And we will whisper. We convinced ourselves that they were gone. But they were just hibernating. They came for everybody. Home, please. Coordinated simultaneous attacks at the homes of Tulsa PD. So the cops hide their faces, and now the bad guys don't know where they live. And who doesn't want a secret identity? If you're new to this podcast, then you might not be aware that the first season was all about the original comic and TV series Watchmen. So my friends and I broke down the HBO series week to week, and we alternated episodes with a discussion about each chapter of the comic. The TV series was a success, but like most works of genre, not a mainstream hit. So if you haven't seen the TV series, the story takes place in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 2019. 34 years after the events of the comic where an apparent alien attack on New York brought about world peace. Now the world has once again slipped into violent ways as a white supremacist group known as the 7th Cavalry wage a secret war against minorities and the police. In this world, the police force wear masks to protect their identities while costume vigilantes are outlawed. And when a detective by the codename of Sister Knight uncovers a conspiracy taking place in Tulsa, she discovers the world might be on the precipice of a life-changing event that echoes the alien attack from the 80s. I'm not going to go into it too much, because if you've seen the series, you're already across it. You know what I'm talking about. But if you're Watchmen curious, I think it's better to go in like the rest of us, not really knowing that much. If I can make a suggestion, it would be don't binge the series. Watch it uh, episode to episode, but in between, say, episodes one and two, why don't you listen to the corresponding podcast that we recorded and then you can kind of experience the way we experienced it as well. Because there's lots of little things that you you, want to discuss and you want to find out and you want to speculate on. And if you binge it, then... Well, there's no room to speculate, is there? And that's part of the fun of this series. And uh, I think you'd have fun listening to us because we had no idea where it was going. And so, you know, you'll get more out of it if you go on the journey with us. So you find the corresponding podcast and have a little listen to that in between the episodes. I think it'll just enrich the overall viewing experience. 
I will say this, to see Watchmen, that is a, a TV series that belongs in the superhero genre, to see it nominated for 26 Emmys is fascinating to me. It's a series that is not only dealing with the idea of people wearing masks, but also breaks down the superhero genre for a modern context. It is a series that lives in the world of capes and tights. And you know, even if you are a superhero fan, it is, for the most part, pretty male-dominated, pretty Caucasian male-dominated. Like, I know there's examples like Black Panther, etc., but those things sometimes kind of stand out a little bit more because it's a it's a fairly new mainstream way to be bringing in these characters and uh, shining a spotlight on these characters as well. So I know that's what the genre is for the most part, but this is a series that stars Regina King, an African-American woman in her 40s, Jean Smart, an actress in her 60s, Hong Chow, a middle-aged Vietnamese-slash-American actress, and, of course, Jeremy Irons. So that's a pretty strange cast for what you would perceive this genre to be but they're all fantastic lots of other great actors as well tim blake nelson is oh so wonderful in this so it's a really dense series but i think it's also really funny i think there's stuff that you can kind of miss and it's fine if you miss it but if you want to do a deep dive there is so much just wonderful content that you can sink your teeth into. I I keep pausing because I I keep wanting to tell you things, but I don't want to tell you things in case you haven't seen it, and I would rather you you watch it and and, and get to enjoy it properly, right? Uh, It's also got music by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. It's sometimes unsettling. Sometimes it's beautiful. Uh, There's an episode that has a very simple piano cover of one of my favorite songs that I found quite moving when uh, when I heard it for the first time. Uh, you may not know this, but they made nine episodes and they've told their story and they've decided this is it. If, if there's another Watchmen series, it will have to be by new creators because Damon Lindelof and his team, well, they figure they've told their story, they don't have any other ideas and they think someone else should tackle the the IP, I guess. But I really respect that. You know, good on them for not dragging it out. They did a really good job with The Leftovers. Uh, Anyone who knows anything about Lindelof and Lost, you know that he wanted to finish it after three seasons. And that was back in a day when a network wouldn't let you just finish something that was rating really well. So he had his nine-episode story that he wanted to tell, and he's told it, and he's done. So you don't have to worry about committing for too many years. It's only nine episodes. Uh, You'll also be surprised at how strangely prescient the series is too. Remember, this was being made a couple of years ago and was released toward the end of 2019. But when you see the way Watchmen deals with race and cops who are wearing masks, like the police who roam the streets in Portland in 2020, you'll kind of think it's being made in this very moment. I've uh, discussed and read some criticisms of the show. Uh, A couple of very smart friends thought the whole series was too woke in its depiction of race, which is a criticism I don't really agree with. I I just don't know if you can be too woke about things. I think that's a fairly dismissive couple of words when there's so much wrong with the world. 
I think sometimes when you are aware of issues and then you see something that is trying to confront it, you can feel a little bit like, well, I already know about this, so why are you beating me over the head with it? But there's a lot of people who don't know. And I think you have to watch uh, entertainment and I think you have your personal experience, but you also have to watch it in the context of the world that it existed in or exists in now and realise that it is making a difference. There's also a discussion to be had in regard to the depiction of Vietnam in this alternate history that I don't kind of feel qualified to comment on. I can see where there might be a little bit of a concern, but this is an alternate world where the war in Vietnam was won by America and it is touched upon. And, you know, maybe that's an area that can be fleshed out in the future by the appropriate creators. I personally didn't have a problem with it, but, uh, you know, I've read enough stuff to uh, understand where I think uh, some people might be coming from with that. I also know a friend who just didn't connect with the sense of humour in the series. Like, I think it's really funny. But he would say things like, oh, I just thought this bit was a little bit silly or that bit was a little bit silly. And I would argue, yeah, that's that's the joke. Like, sometimes it does look a bit silly. Like, sometimes silly stuff does happen. If you go back and you read the original graphic novel, a lot of the heroes look ridiculous, and that's because it's set in the real world. And superheroes in the real world look a bit stupid. So I, I think if you have a certain sense of humour, you'll, you'll get it. Like, there's there's lots of jokes there. It's not... It's, it's dealing with some important... Uh, topics for our times but it's also not afraid to make fun of itself as well this is a limited series that swings for the fences it wants to entertain and also wants to create a dialogue it's had a cultural impact on education in america where the tulsa race riots that took place in 1921 had been swept under the carpet of history until this series brought it back to the general public's attention Subsequently, some schools in Oklahoma have reintroduced the subject to the curriculum, and that, to me, is the biggest reward the series creators can receive. It's so much more fulfilling than any Emmy uh, win that it might garner. Uh, look, it's not all doom and gloom, though. It's it's really funny, as I said, and uh, if if you are aware of things like uh, like the movie The Dark Knight, one of the episodes has a has a really fun opening riff on that uh you'll find new creative ways that you can use your butlers and maids and you'll discover how a good dose of lube can help you escape the law what does that all mean you'll have to watch the series to find out and i know if you're one of those people who has already seen it you know exactly what i mean (laughs) i loved every second of this series so i thought i'd share with you the opening chat that my good pal Alexi Toliopoulos and I had after we'd watched the very first episode of Watchmen. And you can hear by our first impressions at our complete surprise that we it was like we had some big expectations and they were being reached in ways that we did not expect. So as I said, if you haven't seen the series or heard those earlier episodes of the Big Squid podcast, please go back and alternate your viewing experience and let the let the rest of us know your thoughts. Like, 
everyone who listens to this podcast is fantastic. You can come over to the Facebook page and you can say to us, hey, we're up to episode three and this is what we're thinking and, and we'll comment and we won't give anything away, but we'll be wrapped to have someone new watching it to come and chat with us. And, you know, maybe you'll shine, shine a light on something that, you know, we hadn't noticed, like we hadn't expected. Like there's a, there's a, a, an author in the UK, Sarah Bennett. Hello, Sarah, if you're listening, who had heard Will Anderson and I bang on about the Dark Knight trilogy to such an extent that she finally watched it. And she got in touch with me and said that not only that she loved it, but she she posed something to me that I'd never realised before. And I am wrapped. <laughs> like, you know, there's nothing worse to me than the idea that you know everything about something you love. And uh, Sarah just kind of shone a light on a, on a little idea uh, and a little bit of imagery that I'd never really noticed before. I'm not going to tell you about it now. I'm going to save it for when I speak to Ben Elwood and it'll be on the Dark Knight Rises episode. Ha ha, a little bit of forward sell for you to think about. But anyway, uh, let's get back to this. It's just going to be a little clip from the very first podcast and I think you'll enjoy hearing Alexi and I discuss the episode with no idea about what lies ahead of us. And then I'll come back after this little clip to say goodbye. I feel really anxious after watching that pilot. Did you feel anxious? I don't know if I feel anxious. I feel excited. Oh, I feel excited as well. But I also feel really anxious. I think it might (laughs) have had something to do with the fact that it really delves into race in a way that is in many ways uncompromising, Mm. but also there is just that sense of I'm really not educated enough. Yeah. And very specifically, the beginning of it, which we will dive into in Mm. a sec, what that's all about, turns out wasn't really that well known in America. Yeah. And so everything that kind of plays out, even though it is a universe based on a comic where there was once a giant blue man Mm. who could do anything with his powers, it felt so real in, in... many of its regards. I yeah. just I felt a level of anxiety all the way through it. And I felt like that anxiety was paid off in the in yeah. the end. Does it when you're seeing this straight away, what is your immediate thought with this first episode? My immediate thought yeah. was that having been a big fan of the leftovers, mm-hmm. the start of this episode reminded me, even though they're very difference but yeah. uh in in content but in the way it played out it reminded yes. me of the start of the second season of the leftovers yes. and the third season of the leftovers yeah where both of those shows you have you get a glimpse into the past yes. and a perspective on on what the future perhaps could be or yes. from someone that you know the, both of those uh, season 2 begins with we're going way back in time to early man yes. uh cave people and then season 3 of the leftovers you've got like this kind of like i don't even know what you would say are they a cult maybe not but it's uh, like a christian based faith community well yeah i think i think it's just a community but yeah. there's some part of the community that is very much believing the the scriptures to yes. be not metaphors, but to be, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. And then 
each one of those thematically sets up where the rest of the story is going, yeah. even though we never go back to the caveman days in the second season. We never go back to that uh, family in yeah. the third season. And I felt like this was very much saying to us, this is what we're going to be dealing with mm. for the next nine episodes. Yeah, and I had no idea that it would begin there. No. Because I've not... Um, I've not... I've seen the the first trailer that came out for this right. series uh, with... Um, uh, like, that kind of introduced what everything kind of would be. But yep. I didn't... I'm, I've kind of created this great brain for myself now. Right. Where I'm very happy that I forget trailers really easily now. Right. And so I remember when that trailer came out being really excited and talking to you about it and going like, I feel like this show is literally made for you. It's Lindelof doing The Watchmen with a Nine Inch Nails soundtrack and then also had a David Bowie song in the trailer. Like, take and, all my money. And I was like, that was you. I couldn't believe it. Oh. And so that was the last I really saw from this <laughs> and just kind of knowing who was involved with yeah. Lindelof being involved and then seeing who the cast was. Right. And I didn't... And knowing that it was going to be a sequel or a follow-up to the graphic novel Watchmen yep. and... Um, but also set now and then kind of seeing little hints about it online, really. I didn't really know what to expect. So then coming in and seeing like this real world event, this mm. t- the Tulsa uh, Black Wall Street massacre, really. Right. I-, I had only known about it recently yes. that this even existed, this happened. Um, there was like this article by the great essayist Tanahisi Coates. I've read that as well. That's my first yeah. uh, uh, time knowing anything about it. That was the first saying. The first time I knew about it, and that was an article that he wrote for The Atlantic. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people uh, in the US especially, uh, were ignorant to it, like you said. And for a lot of people, that was the first time that they encountered even hearing about this like horrible massacre where like 300 people were murdered. Right. Uh, oh. And... That and I, I, what I've heard as well, that was how Lindelof found out about it as well, right? And that's why he wants to write about it. So, this episode opens in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in 1921, and we're watching a little African American boy who was watching a silent movie about a legend of the Wild West, mm-hmm. U.S. Marshal uh, Bass Reeves. Is that Bass Reeves or Bass Reeves? I say bass, but I don't know. I would know. have said bass as well. Yeah. The little boy has obviously seen it before as he mouths the words written on the screen as they're revealed. And the boy's mother plays music on the piano to accompany the movie. But the tears that stream down her face reveal all is not well. And within moments, a bomb falls on the theatre roof and the boy's father enters in a military uniform. He takes his wife and son to some friends who are trying to escape. But unfortunately, they only have room for the boy. So the father places his son in a safe place on the carriage and gives him a note that reads, Watch over this boy. As this family make their escape, there's an explosion, and when the boy wakes, the family are dead, and the boy is left alone with a baby. He looks back at Tulsa as it burns throughout the night, and in one of the many great segues, we cut to modern-day Tulsa, and a masked policeman pulling a car over, asking the driver to show his papers. So, uh, let's dig into that part Mm, right from the beginning, and uh, I... For for anyone who doesn't know what the Tulsa Race Riot is, uh, it took place on May 31st to June 1st, 1921, when mobs of white residents attacked black residents and businesses of the Greenwood District in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The attack was carried out on the ground and in the air, destroying more than 35 square blocks of the district, which was considered at the time the wealthiest black community in the United States and was known as Black Wall Street. 
The riot began over false accusations of a young African-American boy assaulting a young white girl. African-Americans were scared the boy was lynched after white people gathered at the courthouse. Shots were fired and mob violence exploded with 10,000 black people left homeless and property damage being roughly the equivalent of $32 million in today's Mm. rates. The riot was largely omitted from local, state and national histories until a commission investigated the cause of events, resulting in reparations to survivors and their descendants in 2001. And if you don't know about it and you see those planes coming in, Mm. I I don't know about you. Like, I'd, I'd, I'd read the article, but I'd kind of forgotten the extent to how everything went down and it's not that i was thinking that it wasn't real but i was i was watching and thinking oh yeah so this is the watchman world and they've really made this bigger because it's a world there where superheroes exist and then you and then you realize oh no that this is very real oh yeah like so confronting yeah and I think it's done in a way that's so what you say, where you're like, you're slowly coming to realize like what you're seeing is real. And especially, I, I was confronted by it from the very start where you see the image of like this little black child just staring at the screen and um, smiling, like he's seeing the joy of like heroes up on the screen, like, you know, which is so much of what... Um, comic book uh media is about it's about the audience it's like feeling this joy this unprecedented joy for their heroes and the the irony of that being that he's watching like this silent film um with his mom accompanying on the piano right and that immediate imagery of seeing a silent film yeah set in the united states presumably set in the united states kind of south midwest area the movie that comes to mind is the iconic uh Ku Klux Klan biographical film, right. uh, D.W. Griffith's uh, Birth of a Nation. Right. And that's immediately what you think. So it's, it's, I thought it, it's such a striking moment because that's what, like, that is one of the film, like, the film that's on every book ever is like, this is like the first feature film from the US, the first kind of masterpiece. And it's like, I see that immediately as a commentary that so much of American art and especially American film has been kind of used as like this white propaganda. And to see it kind of be flipped on its head immediately, even though we're in this very real moment, we're seeing this um, uh, Bass Reeves, yeah. who is like, he's real, right? He's yes. like a real, a real mar- US Marshal. So here's, uh, I've done a lot of research yeah. for this podcast. Bass Reeves was the first black deputy US Marshal west of the Mississippi River, and during his long career was credited with arresting more than 3,000 felons. He shot and killed 14 people mm. in self-defense, and it is... Uh, I'm not entirely certain if this is allegedly Mm. or a fact. I've seen, uh, doing my research, there were conflicting reports on this, but allegedly his adventures were the inspiration for The Lone Ranger, Mm. which is interesting because The Lone Ranger, of course, is white. Is white, yeah, with a Native American sidekick. Yeah. And I think seeing that, like, you know, he's someone, like you said, these adventures have been told for many times now yeah. he's become like this folk hero yeah and immediately you're taken to this moment where you're seeing this kid seeing he's a hero up on the screen right it's very much like this early superhero commentary he looks like seeing. a superhero when he he's got when he turns up cape. on the plane uh, yeah. on the plane on the on the horse mm. and uh, the way he jumps off at first i thought it was going to be an actual superhero yeah. the, with the way they shot it. Yeah, and like, are we going it's this clever. far back in time? That we're yes. Seeing? 
We're at the end of today's episode, so thank you to Siobhan Coombs and Dave Thornton for joining me to have a little chat. If you're thinking that those volumes of the Flintstones are up your alley, as I said, maybe contact your local comic shop to see if they have any copies that you can purchase. That'd be pretty cool if you can do that. If you're late to Watchmen and want to talk to friends of this podcast, you can find us loitering about on our Facebook page or maybe come and join the private page so you can discuss freely without having to worry about posting spoilers or or even having to write in capital letters, spoiler alert. Uh, This is a new weekly podcast now, so I know we did seasons in the past, but we're going weekly from here on in. So if you're enjoying the, the, the regular listen, please write us a favorable review on whichever platform you use or pass us on to any friends that you think might enjoy hearing a rotating cast of people discuss the art and entertainment that they love. Next episode, Ben Elwood returns to discuss Christopher Nolan's lost classic, Insomnia. That's the movie that stars Robin Williams and Al Pacino and Hilary Duff, and it's it's fantastic. And I'll have some other extra guests joining us as well. And I might have some exciting news about a possible new development. I, th- I was just going to do it then, actually, but you know what? I'll I'll get some stuff in working order, put some stuff in place, and then I'll let you know what that is. Ooh, getting a bit tricky in today's podcast, aren't I? Today, I'm going to leave you with a quote from the star of Watchmen, Regina King, who said, A modern mum to me is not always someone that juggles a career and family. A modern mum is a woman who takes care of herself on the inside and the outside. So if you're a mum or you're not a mum and wherever you are in the world and especially to everyone in Victoria, uh, I really hope you're taking care of yourself too. Until then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.